This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by EasyRollerDice.com. Great dice and accessories for gamers and listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DM's Guild affiliate links and our patrons over at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show like Stephen Robertson, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, and Mark. Thank you all for supporting us. Hey everybody, this is Tom Lommel, and you have flipped another page in the book of infinite gaming advice. You're listening to The Tome. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, I'm flying solo, and by solo I mean without Tracy, but I've got some fabulous guests. Uh, we are number 281. We're going to reach out to the powers beyond our comprehension and strike a grand bargain for personal power. Because this episode is all about warlocks. And like I said, oh, I've got some fantastic guests joining us for this episode. We have the Tome Show's new social media director is the title I've decided that you have. Uh, Ishmael Alvarez. Ish, welcome to the show. Hello, it's great to be here. Very good. And I'm excited to have you here and let people get to know you a little more as and... I mean, they've already started to see some of your work as you've uh, been been helping us with some outreach on our Facebook page and that kind of stuff. So, yes, absolutely. I've been a busy social media elf. There you go. We appreciate it. Uh, and we also have our returning champion, our single biggest source of inspiration for warlocks, uh, the author of the Brimstone Angels, and so much more, as well as an all around awesome person to hang out with, Aaron M. Evans. Welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be back. <laughs> Uh, and we may also have uh, Jonathan Green joining us later. He, he, I'm suspecting there was some some time zone issues. He late late in the day decided that he could join us, uh, but is also in England. And so I think there's time zone issues, and he didn't know exactly when to join us. So uh, hopefully nothing came up, and everybody's healthy and 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 whatever. But uh, he may be joining us midway through the episode. So today we're going to talk about Warlocks at the request of some of our patrons over at Patreon. Uh, we're going to talk about why we should play them. We're going to talk about how they work, how to make them awesome, all those kinds of things. This is part three of our series looking at the classes of D&D. But before we dig too far into that, I want to mention our newest sponsor, EasyDiceRoller.com. I know you've had it in your head for a while to indulge yourself and pick up some of those awesome metal dice. EasyDiceRoller.com has those kinds of dice as well as normal dice, dice bags, uh, all kinds of accessories, all for great prices. Uh, and their their uh, metal dice are particularly cool looking and you can even pay a little bit extra and get a bonus like wicked skull case to hold your dice in. Uh, if, and if you use the coupon code TOME, T-O-M-E, you'll get 15% off your total price. 15% is a pretty awesome discount, so you should totally check it out. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out EasyRollerDice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit, make sure to use coupon code TOME, that's T-O-M-E, at checkout and save 15% immediately. Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TOME at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. All right, now into talking about Warlocks. We have the the premier warlock expert here in the form of Ish. Oh, I mean, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so, who wants to start off by just generally speaking, give us a description of what a warlock is? Hmm. Well, I'm. I can start and just say that um, warlocks, at least as they are in their cur- the current iteration of Fifth Edition, are um, a certain sp- kind of spellcaster that draws power from a pact that they make with some kind of a uh, higher or lower power uh and uh, they basically get uh, very specific uh, magical abilities in comparison to other spell casters they get fewer spells but they're able to cast them more often uh and they have a lot of very i guess what you would call like witchy uh kind of accoutrement mm. like uh they can have a tome or they can have a familiar or they can have a weapon that uh, is kind of like a foci of their power if you will uh and so they they represent a lot of like the um out lying magic caster types that might be, like I said before, considered a little bit more on the witchy side. Mm-hmm. I'd add to that, the warlock as a player character is one where your your magic it comes inherently with a conflict. Um, why do you make this choice and who are you making this choice with in a way that it, that you can do with other things like wizards and sorcerers, but but um, you don't have to. You can avoid it. And I feel like with warlocks, it's it is a sort of a central question of your character. Um, and now I've forgotten the other thing. Two <laughs> thought. Well, and I think um, I think while well, you think of it, while you think of it, I think that point is a really important point for the warlock. Like on one hand, I love the warlock because it, because both as a DM and as a, and as a player because it comes with a built-in story. Like every character could come with a built-in story, but it's not an inherent part of the class that it has to. Whereas the warlock has to come with a built-in um, story element in in the in the form of this pact with this you know greater entity that that grants you your powers but is also going to have demands on you and all kinds of stuff. I guess clerics kind of do it to a lesser degree, but warlocks really hit that hard. Uh, that's also something that makes them less D and D ish, right? D and D as a system is tends to be fairly generic. Uh, sort of fantasy gaming, right? Uh, and the warlock mm-hmm. uh, is a lot less generic. Like this is a if you're playing a warlock, that you are uh, agreeing to a very specific sort of game with a with an, a story element that's sort of built into it. And that's typically the kind of thing you see a lot in um, in in very focused sort of game systems. Uh, it's not something that is typically part of the core of D anD. d So so it's interesting to me um, both because it, it's great because it has that built in story, but but it's unique because of that as well. And it it really does come with its own kind of uh, uh, attachment to whatever setting that you're going to have. Because if you're a warlock, you make a pact with something, you already have to decide how your character is integrated with the setting. Mm -hmm. If you're in Dark Sun, maybe your patron is one of the Dragon Kings. Or if you're on, you know, in some other setting, you have to start to ask yourself as a player the questions of, you know, who is my, you know, who am I making this pact with? You know, what, what, aspect of this setting am I tying my character to? And that you just reminded me of my other point. Yay! Um, it's also a class that 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 uh, brings in other worlds, other planes to the game because mm. in general the, the, the entities that you're making a pact with are from somewhere else. They're they're outsiders, they're they're devils, they're demons, they're old great old ones. Um, and so you have this sort of otherworldly power that that now interacts with your game on some mm-hmm. level. Yeah, the only possible exception I could bring up because, like in the core book, the the main player's handbook, right? The, those are the options, right? Archfey, mm-hmm. 
can be your can be your who you make your pact with. Uh, your patron could be infernal, you know, devil, demon, even Yugoloth are, are mentioned. Uh, and then uh, Great Old Ones you mentioned as well. Um, the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide brings in a new pact for um, for the Warlock class as well that's really more necromantic-ish and undead and all that, and so that gets to be sort of the exception to the rule. Right? You've oh, got, like, then you have, like, the world of the dead, which is... That, no, yeah, like, absolutely. Here, right? Yeah, so it, it could, is another it, thing. I mean, it could be otherworldly, I guess, but but it's not necessarily otherworldly. So it's still to me that still feels otherworldly, okay. but the, yeah, but yeah, with a different flavor and one that's more you know more connected to the prime material. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm also I will admit a little biased because, um, like I was saying before the show, that the way I've always conceived of the warlock's power is not so much that your power comes from this entity you have the pact with, because in that way it, it ends up being, well, what's the difference between a cleric and a warlock? You know, where's the line between a god or a, a you know a demigod or a, you know, a saint or an exarch or whatever, and, and one of these other entities? Where do you make the boundary? Um, but that instead that your patron provides kind of like a conduit to the powers of this other plane, mm. and that that's what you pull on to make your spells. Um, which makes I think makes a lot more t- makes does make a lot of sense within the Forgotten Realms world because um, you're not using the weave in that case you're using something separate. Mm-hmm. Um, which and I also think it's kind of a fun thought experiment to figure out if there if that is the case then are there warlocks in other planes that make pacts with something from the prime material and then I don't know what you can do with that but you know the kind of stuff that you think is ordinary is pretty extraordinary in other places. Yeah, but if something is powerful enough to provide a pact from the prime material, couldn't it also grant powers to somebody on the prime material? No, but that's what I'm saying. It would be stuff that, that this is why I think it's kind of fun to think about, but I don't know how, how you implement it. And I don't think it would be a game thing, so it may not be a topic for this particular podcast. No. But the kind of stuff that's like, and, and I wish I could remember all the specifics, because I think I have a blog post out there somewhere. Yeah, going sure. <laughs> but the kind of things that are ordinary, you know, um, like gravity like okay you can make stuff stick to the ground here but in a world you know in a plane that doesn't have that where things fly all the time um which i can't remember the names of that one um that's pretty amazing right Mm -hmm. you can say oh i can stick things to the ground and if you ask someone here hey can you help me stick things to the ground you'd say well you're crazy everything sticks to the ground dummy Mm -hmm. um or you know making things age in a world where that doesn't happen right timeless yeah yeah, I mean, there's all kinds. I mean, it gets interesting because it would be stuff. It would have to be stuff that that people in the prime material are not amazed by. In the same way that I don't think devils are particularly amazed by your ability to make a fireball. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I like that point of view too. It's it it really kind of flips your perception of what a warlock is could be, especially if you do play in one of the kinds of settings where everything is kind of flipped around and nothing is you know, uh, common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got ideas running through my head now of what kind of people could be patrons. <laughs> you know? What if your patron is a bard and they're teaching you the power of music in this place that has never heard of music before and, you know, that kind of right? stuff. Cool. There you go. I do think that it provides opportunities too because, like, well, you can make a pact with something that's really powerful, like you can make a pact with Orcus or Asmodeus or, you know, an archfey um, that 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 character interacting with your campaign is going to be a little unwieldy for a while. Mm. Like, you know, 
I have, if I play a character and I'm only like third level, I really don't want Orcus to show up. And I don't know why he's <laughs> listening to me, right? Why, why, why there's any kind of interaction. But if you're dealing with somebody who's like down on the, in the trenches, you know, Orcus's assistant regional manager, assistant to the regional manager, mm-hmm. then you've got somebody who might come in and interact if that's what you want with your game. So like you have these options. You can pick somebody big and grand who's going to stay off stage because they've got better things to do and that's maybe just going to feed you little, you know, feed your spells or or maybe interact with your storyline a little bit or you can have somebody who's going to be down and dirty and 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 come and impact the story more. So it can kind of provide an interesting angle for your adventure. Yeah, and I—I I mean, as a DM, I love it when when players and when I guess the—I've never had more than one warlock at a time, right? But when there's a warlock in the party, it does make my life a little bit easier because it's like if I need to like throw them a hook towards a possible storyline, it's really easy to have the patron be like, "Hey, by the way, you might want to look into this thing," and it could just be you know as long as I can justify that the patron would want to maybe manipulate them into that direction, because uh, ultimately that's where. Um, a, a less godlike sort of patron, like an Orcus or, or an Asmodeus or whatever, uh, a less godlike patron um, who's maybe not um, super low level on the on the the hierarchy, you know, of power in wh- wherever their setting is or wherever their plane is, but sort of middle level trying to r- raise through the ranks. Um, I see a lot them having a lot of value in warlocks because it gives them a chance to manipulate things uh, a little more yeah. subtly through agents. You know they're not gonna they're not gonna pull in the worshippers that gods pull in, but they can feel a little bit like a god if they've got these dozen or so warlocks out there doing stuff that that you know they put them on the path towards. Right. So, it's so a anyway, hobby. that's how, that's how I play my uh, my the warlock in my current group is uh, he I've got an undying pact warlock, and uh, the, uh, the 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 patron that in that case is this undead founder of the kingdom that they're from. Who just sort of occasionally like pokes them and prods them into certain directions, or at least pokes and prods that that warlock into a certain direction, and, and it a- allows me to sort of introduce story elements that I otherwise wouldn't be able to add. So, nice. Yeah. Although to really fry your noodle, I, I reveal in a recent behind the DM screen that I think I'm going to have the patron actually be the warlock. Like there's going to be some time travel stuff going on. Whoa! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's a, he's, a, he's his own patron, right? <laughs> And he's putting him on this path because once he's completed this sort of destiny and goes back in time to become the patron, then he's finally free and can make his own choices because, you know, it won't be predetermined. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think it's going to be fun. Nice. So, so uh, we've talked about sort of the, the built-in story that comes with uh, warlocks. Uh, I'm curious what other reasons might somebody want to play a warlock? Uh, obviously, there's, there's great story reasons to do it. Uh, but generally speaking, why would somebody be interested in playing a warlock? I've I've generally seen people who want to play warlocks, and this goes back to because I, if I remember correctly, they had uh, warlock was a class in third edition. If I if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I think but, it came out uh, in, the, in a later people, book. But yeah, yeah, and uh, that was in a campaign that I was in, and I saw one of my friends was playing a warlock, and they kind of like. It was almost to them like this uh, excuse to be evil, which was fine. And they did it well. It wasn't like, you know, how most people play evil things and they just are jerks. But uh, I, I feel like people see Warlock and they think, ooh, this is something that can let me be a little bit bad. And I think that's carried through from 
third edition to fourth edition and even now you see people kind of look at it as as being almost like a license to to be something other than than a hero really um so like in that story aesthetic way i feel like uh, warlock kind of occupies that space in the same way you might see like maybe an anti-paladin or, or you know things like that hmm. yeah and they and they have they do have some unique uh mechanical things going on as well like there's some it re- they, they do some really interesting things if you want to be a spellcaster but maybe not your traditional sort of spellcaster uh hmm. even like even though they have this sort of witchy sort of element to them um and you can definitely like build a, a stereotypical witch using the warlock uh, class. I think they're more unique than just that, right? They they do other uh, all kinds of weird things um, that are not typically found in in other um, classes. Like their spellcasting situation is such that, for example, they they typically get much fewer spells, but. Um, their their spells are always leveled up. Like um, the way their spell slots work is that the first couple levels, all of your spells are cast as as first level spells. Uh, but as you go up in level, they're all cast at second or third or fourth. So if a spell gets a little bit more powerful over time, you just automatically do that. You never once you have fifth level spells, you never prepare a spell, you never cast a spell at, at first level ever again. Uh, and so there's no like dealing with well. I would cast this first level cantrip or, or uh, first level cantrip, like I don't know the terms now. <laughs> I, I could cast this first level spell, um, but but why when it automatically gets cast at fifth level, right? All, every time I cast it. Uh, they also take a little bit of, of if you liked um, encounter powers, I guess, in fourth edition or later days of, of third edition, 3.5, um, they, they sort of capture that flavor because they get their spells back at a rest. So every time they get a chance to t- sort of take a take a short rest, they get to, to restart again. So they may only be able to cast, you know, one, two, three at their highest levels, four spells in an encounter, but they'll get to cast those basically almost every uh, every encounter. Um, so it's a very different sort of system uh, of magic. Um, on top of which, they also get these invocations, which allows you to sort of tweak. It's it's almost warlocky built-in feats. You know, it's a little bit less, maybe as powerful as feats, but sometimes it's you know it's little flavor things. It's a you can you can read any language. You can um, cast this this uh, lower level spell at will or once a day or whatever. Uh, these little things that give you a little more flavor. So so they they provide all kinds of interesting mechanical options as well. I think. Yeah, and I'll agree. And uh, the the really interesting thing I've never played a warlock, but I've I've got a warlock in one of my campaigns right now. Uh, but it it reminds me of my switch when I was in third playing in third edition of going from a wizard to a sorcerer. It really like the limitations of a sorcerer, for instance, really inform your spell casting. For mm. instance, you you you're more careful about what you pick as spells spells that you think might just clog up your your spell list and as a warlock it's it's even more so uh you're not going to go for a spell that's going to require anything if you know the the uh, enemy makes that saving throw and so you're gonna you're gonna go for damaging spells you're gonna go for spells that affect the environment uh and you're gonna go for the most flash and uh uh that's what i've seen from my warlock player anyhow and Mm -hmm. it's just it's an interesting way of uh making a, a purposed spellcaster, if you will. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of the limited options. Yeah, I think you're right. You have to you have to make your selections very carefully. And typically, um, it, when I'm doing something like that, right, because I like to focus on story ahead of everything else, I might take suboptimal selections because it's building the type of character that I want that character to be, not because of the mechanical, you know, not because it's the mechanical advantages of of that spell, right, but because this kind of fits the kind of person that I'm building and it and it helps define the the pact right these are the spells that that I'm being granted by my by my patron or whatever and so it makes more sense this is why I just multi-classed my paladin to be a paladin warlock in my game but I haven't actually gotten to use any of her powers yet (laughs) talk about paladin warlock who's your patron uh it's so it's um a homebrew game which I think it's it's uh, Susan Morris. I think has been on your show talking about mm. this game okay. um, ages ago. But so it's a uh, whatever they call Fey Pact now. Archfey. I only know the four E terminology off the top of my head. So my apologies to everybody who's mad about that. Um, and it's in this particular case the elves. Uh, my character's a half elf, and they live. The elves live on this island, kind of out to out in the sea. But they, um, their dead are sort of imbued into these, their spirits are sort of trapped in these skulls, these jeweled skulls. And if you do this ritual, um, you can talk to the, the dead elf. Mm. And so I had one coax me through a warlock pact in order to um, sort of, it, I mean, part of it is the meta reason is that I, uh, our wizard is evil and I think he's going to get his character killed one of these days. So we need somebody (laughs) to have have some magic backup. And also I was sort of like, you know, I've never played a warlock. I've only read the rules. And then it's, I mean, you never really, it's Mm -hmm. hard to synthesize that if you've never actually Mm -hmm. played it out. Um, but then, uh, so yeah, so I don't, I haven't actually gotten to use any of the power stuff because we're kind of on a, we, we, Two sessions ago, leveled up, and then it's been kind of like solving a mystery and sure. then breaking into a uh, fortress prison on an island in a frozen sea. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, just I, more, I'm more curious about how the I'm more curious about sort of how the, how does that story play out because um, you know the 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 patron, <laughs> the patron element of a warlock kind of dominates the character's story. I think sometimes. Um, it does, and that's part of it. Is that there's a the character because she's a half elf. She's kind of got this this torn identity, and um, on top of that, she started out as a paladin of this god of sort of the empire and order and and believing in in this, and um, is a sort of like pulling away from her father's this merchant who trades and who traded in like black market stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's just like, okay, well, things, I'm going to follow the the narrow right in good kind of way. Um, and then she woke up one morning with this, uh, from a really weird dream of the moon with this freaky ass sword that glows and commands zombies that she can't get rid of. She throws it in a chasm. It comes back the next day. Mm. Some dude tells her, Hey, you're this chosen of the goddess of the crossroads. And you know, it's going to, if you die, you'll come right back. It's going to eat your soul. She kills him, he comes right back. So she's already got some problems. And so it is this sort of like reaching for some other power because clearly her god of, you know, order and, and stuff is not not kind of taking the reins. So right. she's like, well, I'm going to jump to this, this answer. Um, she's mostly justifying it. She had a 
there was a uh, it's, it's one of those things like let me tell you about my character we had this <laughs> weird vision and Susan decided to make me blush by there's this creature and it look it made everybody on the boat see something they dearly wanted and Susan decided it would be funny to say that my character saw this attractive elvish man she had a encounter with in a bar when she was getting drunk and um, having uh, a crisis. So I spun that as Vidanya Vidanya decided it's not about the guy, it's about the fact he's an elf and that she's you know, needs to get back in touch with her heritage and mm. that's the way out of this problem. So Interesting. that's my... Yeah complicated character story you asked for. <laughs> well no i did i did because because i mean you've got a character that has uh, a, a really strong story hook with another character that has you know another story hook given given that it's a, a, a devout worshiper of some some god right so i knew there had to be some sort of weird uh, interesting way and, I'll, and it would certainly be curious to see how that plays out over the over the you know the campaign right as the the god decides to be more active or the patron decides to be more active if, also not told anybody in the party that she did this oh <laughs> she's like kept this on the download the only thing is they all know she talked to the skull, the skull because one of the problems with talking to the skull is you have to like kind of dip into the void and if you fail your percentile if you roll your percentile dice badly you come out of it with a problem you go a little crazy you come out with a problem and historically my character thinks everybody's judging her when that happens so if Vidanya comes out and is just like, why are you looking at me? <laughs> then everybody knows I'll stuck into a skull. <laughs> sure, yeah. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing in the future how that, uh, how that, that internal you know, uh, juxtaposition sort of plays out. So. It's very entertaining, especially because, um, the, because I've got such a high charisma and it, I've, I've rolled historically really well at bluffing people. Mm. and it's intimidating so already like she's way too good at things a paladin should not be doing yeah sure doesn't for to protect her friends so if you're like finding this new path i think it'll be fun yeah cool so so let's talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about how how warlocks in fifth edition work uh so people can sort of wrap their heads around some of the mechanical bits now we've talked a lot about sort of the we've talked about the different patrons that you can that you can uh make packs with right so you got the archfey which give you sort of bonuses in terms of like enchanting sort of magic and some minor teleports and that kind of stuff uh there's the fiendish which gives you lots of like fire and damage sorts of of extra magic and and makes it so you can both hurt things and be hurt a little bit more uh and then the great old one pact which is you know we're gonna mess with people's minds make everybody go crazy and and become weird and otherworldly um, we also mentioned the Sword Coast Adventures Guide has the, the Undying Pact, where you make a pact with some sort of undead creature, uh, which is sort of a necromanter-ish pact, uh, version of a pact, where you slowly become more undeadish uh, over time. Um, so those are kinds of the extra packs. They are the different packs you have choices from, and they, for each one you get those extra abilities and some extra spells um, on top of that. Uh, we mentioned the, the Pact Magic, how you get... Uh, your your spell slot level goes up automatically, but you get very few spell slots, but they recover after every rest. You also get a handful of cantrips between two to four, depending on your level, uh, that you can cast that just, of course, never run out. Um, and and one of the, the go-to um, cantrips for Warlocks is the Eldritch Blast, right? Uh, it is arguably, in terms of damaging spells, it is arguably one of the better... Um, spells i think uh, available as a cantrip so 
I've had many uh, a bard who has the option to take cantrips from other spell lists um, enjoy taking their war- the, the warlock's uh, <laughs> Eldritch Blast because it's clearly better in terms of damage than everything else at cantrip level. So uh, Beyond that, though, you've got uh, the invocations, the Eldritch Invocations, which I mentioned. Uh, you've got a list of a couple pages, and they're all little short little, mostly short little blurbs, I should say. And sometimes they make you better at certain things, like many of them improve the Eldritch Blast because it's, while it's not a feature, it's kind of the go-to, everybody takes this as one of their first cantrips. Um, some of them make you better at things that you might have already be might already be doing because of the um, the Pact Boon that you chose. Um, you know, the, the Pact of the Chain gets better at Pact of Chain, uh, you know, gets better connections with their familiars because that's what the Pact of the Chain gets. Now I'm getting into a whole other feature. Um, the Pact of the Blade gets better at doing, you know, sort of fightery things with their, their blade up on the front line. And the, the Pact of the Tome, which is sort of the I want to do more magic stuff, gives you more magic-y sorts of things that you can do, like, like casting rituals and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and then there's some other things where it's just like, you know, you can you can cast uh, what is it like disguise self at will? You know, which would be great if you're say uh, a tiefling who's always self conscious about what you look like, right? Man, she she really chose she really chose her uh, her invocations wrong. <laughs> I don't think she chose most things. She just kind of got handed. Them. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's definitely the way I dealt with it. That, Absolutely, that it was more that the, the patron is telling you, "Here you go. This is what you get." Well, and that's part of the that's part of the fun I think of playing a, a warlock. Also, is that um, I think there can be some negotiation, like. Oh yeah. That that you could flavor it as saying, "Well, my patron gave me this, but still let the player make the choice." Which also, whenever I then work on adding new features to my warlock, um, I'm the DM is giving me permission to build some of the story and and build some of the setting that way, right? Yeah. So so that uh, so we talked about elder, the invocations um, and and some of those I particularly like. I know um, what's the one with the vision? There's one that um, Devil Sight. Uh, that that I've had many players be like, oh man, I kind of want to take just like one level of warlock in order to to pick up Devil Sight, which allows you to see normally in darkness, including magical darkness. And so, Ooh, nice. yeah. So if, if somebody yeah, throws if somebody throws down you know a, a cloud that does you know damage to everything in the area, but also creates magical darkness, well, shoot, yeah, sure, we're doing constant damage to them, but we can't like attack them anymore because <laughs> they're in this darkness. We can't see them. Aha! Except I have Devil Sight, so now I can. Um, and, and so I actually had a player who plays a monk that was talking about, like, maybe I just want to take one level of Warlock in order to do that. I'm like, can you take just one level of Warlock? <laughs> <laughs> Will you be allowed to only take one level of Warlock? <laughs> so, sure, um, so, you can do whatever you want. It's yeah. <laughs> So there's all kinds of cool little. I, I, I like the invocations. Like I, I think kind of described them before as, as magic sort of mini feats that allow you to to tweak the the character a little bit and, and get better at certain things and and customize them and make them all really unique. Like warlock is one of the classes. Like it takes up some of the fewest amount of pages in in the book, and yet I think is ultimately like way more customizable for those few pages. Like. In any place you could yes. get six pages and this much customizability in any other class would be amazing. Well, so. the the interesting thing to me about Warlock is that it it is reminiscent of a lot of other games that are point by, like uh, you have your World of Darkness and and some other games like that where you can choose 
as opposed to just having everything kind of handed to you mm. uh, without any choices at any given level. And so you kind of get that feeling like you're, oh, I want to be able to improve my cantrips. And so I'm going to take the invocations that make those better. I want to mm. take the Pact of the Blade because I want to actually swing a sword at an enemy instead of standing back and just flinging Eldritch Blasts at them. And so it's, like you say, it's a very customizable class and it actually fits a lot of uh, concepts, which I think is what kind of makes it uh, kind of a popular class. I, I see a lot of people actually, if, if not take that, then consider it even just for a, um, taking one or two levels in it. Mm-hmm. Now, there is one class feature that I'm a little bit, uh, I guess, confused about. Um, and, and I'm mostly confused because it's their 20th level class feature, the, the Eldritch Master uh, class feature, which allows you to regain, you 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 call to your patron and you are able to regain all of your spell casting stop spell casting slots uh, after one minute of sort of uh, entreating upon your your patron right uh, and and I guess that's fine but since you kind of get all your slots back after a short rest anyway which I mean is not like one minute is definitely shorter than that but how often do your do, do characters get a minute break where they couldn't also eventually just take a short rest? In um, you know, twentieth level powers are usually like the ones where you start to break the game, and and I don't know this one. That their their twenty their twentieth level power seems a little bit weaker. Is that something you can do in combat versus well, but the it takes, short rest? But it takes a minute. That's right, ten, that's ten rounds of combat. That is ten rounds. That is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you Especially could do it in combat, but yeah, especially at 20th level. You have a stop. Is there a stop time spell where you could stop time and then talk to your patron in I the mean, time bubble? Uh, I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. So, yeah. That, I that, could I mean, see that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I could see that being useful for, like, some kind of a thematic purpose. Like, maybe you're a firefight and you have to sneak off and it, 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 you know you would see that in some kind of a dramatization where it's like okay hold off for another five turns and i'm gonna get all my spells back but that you know that's the kind of thing you might see in a more specialized arena not at 20th level like you say because at that mm-hmm. point you're you know other people are casting meteor swarms and, and and wish spells and you're just sitting there waiting for a minute to just get the spells that you have back mm-hmm. so that just yeah that doesn't seem like a 20th level power to me yeah, and in fairness, like nobody should ever choose their class based off of the twentieth level power because that's the power you will literally use the least. It's the last one you get, and then the <laughs> campaign's almost over, right? Uh, so, so I guess it's not a big deal if if they break the game at that point, but it's also not a big deal, I guess, if it if it feels a little bit weaker uh, than the others. And it could be that I'm just completely misinterpreting and misunderstanding the situation. I've never played a warlock up to twentieth level. I've never had a warlock up to twentieth level in one of my games either. So, so maybe I'm just misreading the situation and how it's supposed to work or whatever uh, and people can totally like you know leave a comment to us shoot us an email uh ish will have this episode i'm sure posted on the facebook and they can leave a comment there and we can talk about what's going on or what i'm what i'm completely missing here but it seems to me that's how how it, it functions so so any other mechanical bits about warlocks that we need to get into i have one um um mechanical question mechanical story-ish question that came up on on um Facebook when I posted that we were talking about warlocks today um, that, that we can talk about. But I, I'm curious if you guys have any other sort of warlocky things that you've noticed mechanically that are worth m- mentioning. I'm so not the person to ask about mechanics. <laughs> but you're, but you're so, playing a warlock. I, I Like I said, I only got her two sessions ago and I never used anything. 
well, I, I mean, I can speak to it, uh, and I've written out a couple of um, Warlock Pacts mm. for products, uh, which will, aren't published yet, but will be soon. Uh, but uh, it, the you were saying earlier about how you know you you might take a power or a spell that isn't necessarily maximized or or effective, but it makes more sense to your character or to the story. And that's one of the things that, at least, that I take into account when I create, uh, like, a warlock uh, pact, is that uh, just like paladins, they get spells that are that are thematic to their pact, as a, as a paladin would get ones that are thematic to their oath. And you can do things like give them a spell that might not be immediately useful in combat, mm. or that might not be especially, you know, effective uh, compared to other spell choices. But because you get them for free. Then it, it it helps to round out your character. Maybe mm-hmm. you uh, your patron is a like the kraken or some kind of a sea deity, and so you're able to like cast water breathing, which you would never take on your own as one of your actual spell selections. Because you, you get, you cause you get so there. few of them, you know. Right. The chances that that's going to come so, up in one of those corner cases, you probably would never would, but it flavors it nicely, right? Oh, absolutely, and so it really helps you figure out what kind of warlock you want to play, and it it, it like. The, the the joy for me is in in figuring out these little ways of tweaking a class and the warlock is a really good example where you just the spell selection alone um kind of uh shapes their world and their the kind of the the direction they might go towards and and uh I, you know the my it would make me really happy to see someone play such a character and go hey this is cool that i got this spell yeah no i agree absolutely so, so here's the question that, that came up um, that I don't think is actually covered mechanically in the entry uh, for the class, but I think is rife with story possibilities and, and possible mechanical uh, fallout. Of, uh, what happens when a warlock breaks its pact? How, do we, how, do, how, would, you, how would, would we recommend people think about handling that? Because if a warlock breaks its pact, is that like... A cleric, you know, no longer following a deity, and do you know? In previous editions, that meant that, or a, a paladin that broke his oath or whatever, right? In, in previous editions, that means you know you lose all of your powers until you atone or find you know a new patron, a new god, or whatever. Um, how do you think that is could be handled? Because I can't find anything actually listed in the book that describes what happens. Why would you do it? Then your game stop. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> my the way I always referred to it in the novels was that that you can it is possible to break the pact but Mm -hmm. that it has to kind of almost be like a mutual thing like you can't it's just not it's not like unilateral Mm -hmm. right that really what you what you got to do is get like if you're if you have a pact with the devil for example and you're suddenly not too keen on it for example Mm -hmm. what you got to do is get that devil killed and that that way your pact is broken Mm -hmm. uh, because your conduit is gone at that point but that ideally because and the presumption that the person giving this advice has is that you would like to keep the magic and lose the pact holder. Um, you find someone else to kind of you kind of like don't jump ship till you have somewhere to land. Um, but then the other half of that is depending on their story. Like if you want to stay a warlock but you want to switch your your pact um, style or your your entity that that if you are a sort of trained up warlock and you are already used to this conduit of power. Um, then somebody else is going to want to snatch you up. Mm. Um, and I did this too in, in the Brimstone Angels novels. There are, uh, are warlocks who are descended from these particular, this particular coven of warlocks that made the initial pact infernal with, with um, Asmodeus. 
And so that these are sort of like collectibles for certain devils who are, who are into that sort of thing. And so that if your progenitor is particular, you know, if you're a particularly rare type, like um, like Farida is, then there are lots of devils who would really like your pact, and they may swoop in and and arrange circumstances so that you have to make that pact with them. Um, I know too that Bruce Cordell has a, a in his Abolithic Sovereignty trilogy had mm-hmm. a character who was a um, who was a warlock. I think he was initially like kind of set up to become an Infernal Pact warlock, but then this Archface swooped in and grabbed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is a possibility to jump from from one type to another if that's what you want to do. And I think that if you want to get out of the pact entirely, then you're probably switching your character type. And then yeah, you kind of want to like. Um, either trick your patron into um, or convincing them that they want to break the pact for whatever reason or you really do want to engineer their death somehow Um, and then you gotta expect the rest of that that some element of that plane is going to be coming for you which is a story so that's cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) those are the things I would do that said like how do you do that with a character like like, okay so I've got a a six level warlock and I've, I've managed to weasel my way out of the pact uh, and and now I'm picking up levels of rogue. Do I just start as a sixth level rogue, or That's a good, oh I see, that, that or, is or, or am I? Am I, I would I, say start as a sixth level rogue. Well, I mean, in terms of in terms of me being nice and generous as as a DM, yeah. may, maybe. But on yeah. the other hand, like, but that's I mean, that is part of the thing. Is like if you're a warlock, you get magic because you have this connection, and if you break the connection, then you don't have the magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I would say yeah if you decide you're going to quit warlocking then you're you're done like you don't keep you can't keep that warlock story wise you can't keep the warlock levels mm-hmm. and if you want to then I don't know it's etched itself upon your bones and so you can never forget I mean if, if I'm t- if I'm taking inspiration like if I'm taking inspiration from previous editions then you you can't not have the warlock levels you just don't get any of the magic from those levels like congratulations <laughs> you've got you've got the hit dice and the proficiencies and whatever but but you know you just don't get the magic you know the good part uh you know that's what previous editions would do um yeah, yeah I, I would I, say if you want to keep it if you want to re- you want a way to keep your six levels of warlock without having a pact mm-hmm. that you could say you have to get rid of the patron Right, mm-hmm. but that you can't actually break the conduit. That you will always be connected to this plane, but you're not going to yes. advance past that without the patron. Yeah, and I then think... you just have to have that sort of like thing is lingering. And then you do maybe worry about entities from that plane coming after mm-hmm. you because you killed this person, saying whatever. Um, but then you have a kind of like, well, I made my, I, I will always carry the warlock taint or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And you can then you know start grabbing your rogue level so you can shank some demons or something right and i think that's i think that's another approach to take right there, there's the, there's the the hardcore the kind well yeah well so there's the kind version of okay just let them switch classes at whatever level they were there's the the hardcore which is the okay well you have to keep the warlock levels and you just don't give any of the, of the abilities and then i think there's the sort of middle ground which is what we're describing now which is a uh, you know you you have been taught to channel the power of this plane you never unlearn what you've been taught you you'll never learn anymore and you can never gain another warlock level again until you find a new patron um I but think, but the like, stuff you've learned you can keep doing you know yeah I think honestly, I think story-wise, given what the warlock is is sort of 
exemplifies and is is bringing to the table and is meant to be and all that that you really it needs it it, it would be make the most sense that if you break the pact you lose everything because it is something where it's got that level of investment like you do this and you can't go back you can't not have done this right so that well, idea and, of like and, well and that really ins- that, it, and that really in- that really strongly incentivizes like not give like you better think twice before you decide to go back on this on this contract right because because yeah. it's gonna hurt which, I mean, that said, like, the most important thing is that you should have fun. So if you're playing and you're like, you know what, I really hate being a warlock, then there are these other options. Right. Talk to your DM and work <laughs> it out. Right? Story, man. If you're dedicated to the story, then yeah, you shouldn't. I mean, I think you can break your pact if you find a more powerful patron to protect you right. or um, some, so, you know, somebody to replace that, that, that entity. Um, but I do think there is a certain amount of if you go down this path, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, the the interesting thing is that it isn't very well defined. Uh, you know what happens if you break the pact. It is, it doesn't even really tell you what what the pact should be like. It doesn't say that uh, there are any uh, necessarily any strict um, you know contractual uh, bullet points that you have to follow. So that could all be left up to the to the DM. But uh, to me, the thing that would be the most fun to do with someone who wanted to break their pact is that it would be just as much uh, an aspect of the character to break the pact as it was for the reason that they entered into the mm-hmm. pact in the first place and so I would see it as like you borrowed a bunch of money from the mafia and you decided to skip town <laughs> yes. and so it would be like a, t- a Tarantino-esque uh, battle of wits between the warlock and the patron to figure out who's going to come out on top mm-hmm. and the powers are still there because that the, the terms of the deal weren't do this or else they're here i'm going to trust you with this and that trust is broken uh so you know maybe your soul is forfeit when you die maybe you die when you hit zero hit points without getting a chance to be revived or maybe you have terrible dreams every night and have to watch over your shoulder for demonic hitmen but i think that definitely is and the the other options obviously are are fun too but like the the story aspect of oh i just pissed someone who um I just pissed off someone with great power that handed me this, you know, this uh, ability, and we're we're gonna see it out to the end. I like that. Mm-hmm. That does bring up something, though, that I think is important to consider if you're going to have a, a warlock character. I think that people tend to get this idea that that if you're going to have a pact, particularly an infernal pact, that the price is your soul. That you make this pact and the, that you give the devil your soul in order to have these powers. But I think that it it kind of that's that's a really steep price and I, I feel like a lot of characters it doesn't make sense to start there mm. especially if what you're getting is like cantrips you get here eldritch blast <laughs> and your soul is mine for eternity that's a terrible deal and it's especially in a world where like you have really concrete evidence of the afterlife like in forgotten realms like nobody's really arguing about this <laughs> Um, th- that like you you have a better sense of what you're giving up, mm-hmm. and so I think it's good to like if you can find a way for your patron for that deal to come down on a on a sort of a lower level. Um, I can't speak to every outsider because I'm definitely not an expert in great old ones or undying and things like that. But for devils, um, you know, the I, I I put a line in one of my books where where they say that the demons will drag you off to the abyss, but we know you'll walk right into the hells if we open all the right doors. Mm-hmm. So they'll make a deal with you. Make, having your patron like make an agreement that's like, 
something really reasonable or even like saying, hey, first one's free, man. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, they may not even ask for anything particularly like just we have this connection and I'm going to give you powers and you're going to take the powers. And knowing that like the more these powers you get, the more power hungry your character is going to get mm-hmm. or the more your character is going to like reach for vengeance beyond what is actually due you know the more it's going to push you to sort of wreak evil acts and then or, or get them trapped in things um there's so many choices out there that are more interesting and more complex and and more tangled than just give me your soul and i'll give mm-hmm. you some eldritch well, ultimately, like that's where I talked about like one of the great things about patrons for me, both as a DM and as a player, is that it gives me as a DM like the opportunity to to poke and prod and manipulate, right? So, so if the patron shows up and say, "Hey, I think you should totally go, you know, save this princess in the dungeon," or "I think you should totally go, you know, recover this artifact that the that the queen has," or whatever, right? Um, I think there's opportunities there to to use the mechanics and basically say, you know, the patron told you to do a thing or asked you to yeah. do a thing, and and if you're not willing to do the thing, that's fine. But the patron's not interested in in boosting you your power anymore. Like they, they, they've already made an agreement. The power you've got, they're going to let you keep because that's in the contract, right? But they're not going to extend your contract and expand it to include more powers if you don't, you know, make them happy along the way. So I think there's opportunities and there. And, and I think that those opportunities are way more open if you haven't kind of already made the ultimate deal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, and so I think uh, in terms of like rules as written, my, I guess my, my feel is that if you break the Warlock Pact, um, you're totally allowed to do that and, and nothing changes about your character. Um, I suppose you can't advance anymore as in that in that pact anymore right it, it makes story yeah, sense at that, that point that's um, definitely it doesn't make any sense for you to be able to get more warlock powers with yeah i mean the rules don't necessarily don't specifically state that but it doesn't but the rule the, yeah the rules I don't should, say it but it doesn't make sense i, I kind of love the idea that like you have this pact right you've got a pact you've got a pact with this devil that devil gets taken out by a rival they get killed in the hells they don't exist anymore but your conduit is still intact you're still getting spells and nobody's noticed yet and so now you're like flying under the radar, right? You're like the guy from Office Space. Mm-hmm. They think they fired you. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> you can never let them find out because they'll take it all back. <laughs> that Absolutely. could be kind of entertaining in the right kind of game. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there's a lot of ideas there about what to do if, if these kinds of things happen. There's all kinds of story ideas here. My, my last, my typical last couple of questions as we talk about the different classes is sort of tips for for making warlocks and tips for playing warlocks. And I kind of feel like we've we've hit a lot of that along the way. Um, I think the tips for for making warlocks, it's not actually very difficult to figure out um, good ways to build warlocks because there's it's relatively straightforward like if you want to make a a warlock that's going to be all about the familiar then you take the the pact of the chain and then you look through the invocations that's that have the prerequisite of that pact right the pact of chain feature because that's going to be things that sort of enhance your your 
familiariness, right? Uh, whereas Pact of the Tome is going to make you more magic-y and, and Pact of the Blade is going to make you more, you know, upfront and hit things with a weapon sort of thing. Um, you know, so so it's pretty straightforward. There's some great options. There's some, some options that may be uh, less optimized, but they all add pretty equally in terms of flavor and, and, uh, and that kind of stuff. So I guess I don't have real strong suggestions on how to make a great warlock because it seems... You know, depending on the kind of warlock you want to make, and there's a million ways to do it, um, there seem to be relatively straightforward with the the relatively limited options that are there. Does that seem fair? I think so. Okay. No, go ahead. I have a non-mechanical thing to add. Yeah. Um, I've noticed this may be really like seem really obvious to people, but I've I've had conversations where I think it's it's not necessarily as clear. There is a lot of sort of dark witchy styling to the warlock, but you do not have to be evil. You don't have to be neutral. You can be lawful good and be a warlock. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a tool, right? Um, you know, I definitely have people you know wonder why Frida doesn't ping a detect evil spell. Well, Frida doesn't ping a detect evil spell because she's good, right? She's good and she does good things with powers that happen to come from an evil source. But, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you know, you don't ask who made the wizard's wand. Um, It, it it doesn't make a difference. So, so like, don't feel like you can't be like a good righteous person and still have a pact. You just have to come up with a reason, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to kind of make a cool story to go around it. And I and I feel like the archfey is an easy out for for that as well, right? Because the arch yeah. archfey arch are by are are not definitionally evil. Like fiends are all evil. Great old ones, you know, they may not be evil, but they are otherworldly and and from beyond the stars and ultimately want to devour your your universe, right? Uh, you know, uh, the undying. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe the undying. I guess uh, depending on your settings, take on necromancy and undeath might be it's just spooky. They're still got a spookiness. Yeah, I mean, they right? might be they might be definitionally evil depending on your setting, right? But they might not be. Uh, but the archfey are are pretty clearly um, like there's evil fey, but there's also really not evil fey, and there's good guys in there too, and maybe not lawful necessarily, but but being in conflict with your patron is is only a source of interesting story, I think, as the brimstone mm-hmm. angels proves, right? Mm-hmm. I hope so. otherwise i moved six books on something i mean that was a major theme of the stories right is is that's real important but you know if you're if you're trying to figure out how to make a a warlock uh there might be some ideas you could use in those books Hmm, absolutely (laughs) (laughs) yep absolutely just just don't make a frida clone we don't need that to be the next dress right oh no clones Make them all <laughs> cosplay and show up at Gen Con. Well, cosplay—that's the whole different thing, right? Well, and that's probably the sincerest form of flattery. And I feel like most most people who make their first character ever, whether you're 14 or or, or 50, uh, you're going to make something that's familiar to you. I think I've heard so many stories of like my first character ever was Raceland Majera, and so. Um, right. I, I feel like that's maybe like training wheels for your first character, but that's it is flattery, you know. I would definitely be flattered. Sure, I'm not complaining. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I was I was gonna say before about uh, you know um, about you t- you know kind of using uh, or yeah, having ideas for making uh, a warlock. Now, the Unearthed Arcana that came out, it was a while ago, but they came out with, I think it was the Favored Soul, was it? Mm-hmm. But it was it was effectively a, a warlock that was explicitly good, if not lawful good. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And so that was an interesting take on it. That's not an official published thing. But on the, the flip side of that, um, just as I was saying, the joy that I have in creating, um, you know, warlock packs, among other archetypes uh, and what have you, is that uh, I would heavily encourage a player who wanted to play a warlock and didn't see something that fit their vision, come together with their with their DM and just totally say hey this is what i want for my character i want my patron to be this thing that isn't at all covered by the published material let's let you know let's work on that mm-hmm. uh and it actually isn't that difficult especially compared to other um other archetypes uh because the way that the warlock is split up is they've got their their pact boon their invocations and their actual um pact with uh with a greater power and so th- that that pact occupies so much less of their um, of the mechanics that it's easier to kind of fiddle with and create something that's wholly unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- and I think uh, ultimately the the best advice I can give for warlock players is uh, because this is a class that has a built in story, and because the DM is is traditionally the shepherd of the story. Um, this is a class that if you're going to play it, that's awesome, and and a good DM is going to be excited about that. But you should talk to them, like work with your DM yes. to figure out how this is going to work and and what you want to do and and all that kind of stuff. I think is is uh, a great sort of bit of advice. Uh, if uh, if people are done, if if you if you're out of ideas, it's a I think it's a good one to end on. But if anybody has any other ideas, I will take last minute thoughts now. Going once, going twice. Nope. I think I'm good. All right. Talk to your DMs. It is. So we're going to go ahead and say this is the end of the episode. I want to thank our guest, Ishmael Alvarez. Where can people uh, look out for you if they want to uh, chit-chat on the internet or elsewhere? Uh, yes, I'm on uh, Facebook as Lorathorn Dasaril uh, and so, on Twitter as um, King Lorathorn. <laughs> Yes, it's kind of difficult to spell, but uh, <laughs> it's easier to find uh, my stuff. I, I do a lot of uh, fifth edition products through Fat Goblin Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're on RPG now, you can find them there. I also do some work for uh, Silver Games, which does the path, uh, the Pony Finder uh, mm-hmm. li- uh, line of games. And I'm also running um, for Fat Goblin Games a uh, podcast uh, actual play for their setting Shadows of Vathic. So if you're on iTunes, look for that. It's a, it's a fun time and a fun listening. Very good. And if you want to find them on Facebook without uh, you know figuring out how to spell it, you can always head over to the Tome Show's uh, Facebook group, which he manages for us, and uh, find him yes. through there. So. Absolutely. Uh, and Aaron M. Evans. Where can people uh, um, find you, Slush Lush? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my website is slushlush.com. Although I will admit I have not been very good about updating because I've been writing a book and you pulled me out of my cave to do this. How, how dare um, you write books, author? Jeez. I know. <laughs> um, I was just thinking yesterday, I'm like, I don't remember the last time I posted a blog. Um, but uh, uh, the, if you want, if you want to get a hold of me in a more "let me ask you a question" kind of way. Uh, there is a there's a form on Slash. I do reply to the emails from there. Um, but I also have a Facebook page, um, which I think is like facebook.com slash brimstone angels. Uh, and I'm pretty quick on that one mm-hmm. if, uh, if you post something. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Twitter, but I, I mostly I, just retweet things these days because I have no time. <laughs> I, 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 I vaguely recall you uh, describing that today was not as, as productive of writing because you were so busy on Twitter. Well... You know, the news. <laughs> These things happen, yeah. 
and what, I'm, and, not, I'm reading more than I'm tweeting today. And what and what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's just Aaron M. Evans. Aaron M. Aaron M. Like like yes. Moon Evans. Like Moon. Like All right. Malcolm. At, like. There you I go. don't know. I'm just thinking of the D and D word that starts with that. <laughs> Manchun. 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 I'm like Manchun. Aaron Manchun Evans. That's actually yeah. I'm named after my grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so anyway, uh, I also want to thank all of you for supporting the show by shopping on our affiliate links on Amazon and DMs Guild, which you can find links to over at thetomeshow.com, and for supporting us on Patreon, uh, like our great patrons do at Patreon.com/slash/thetomeshow. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email me at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can reach me on Twitter. I am at Squatch, but I'm also the, the one behind the, the Tome Show's at the Tome Show Twitter account. And that has been episode 281, where we got power the easy way as we talked about warlocks in this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm on the wall.